Welcome to The Friday Habit with Mark Labriola and Benjamin Manley. The Friday Habit is for small business owners, freelancers, and creatives who are ready to take their business to the next level. Join us as we discover how to apply the strategies we learn to grow our businesses, make more money, and live every day like it's Friday. And welcome to The Friday Habit. It is a lovely... Friday somewhere in the world. And it's a lovely Wednesday if you're listening to this on a Wednesday. So hey, it's just me today. Uh, My buddy Ben uh, was unable to join this episode. So um, make sure you comment and be like, where are you at, Ben? He's actually out. Um, But he is going to miss out on a great conversation. Uh, I'm excited today. We have Anthony Butler on the podcast today. Uh, He's the founder of the digital marketing agency Can Do Ideas and the creator of the Primal Storytelling Content System, Uh, a highly regarded expert in brand storytelling and digital marketing. Anthony graduated from the United States Military Academy at West Point and the U.S. Army Ranger School. He is a combat veteran and commanded an infantry company in Iraq during the invasion of Baghdad. He's also a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, so watch out, and currently resides in Montana with his wife and two sons. Anthony, welcome to the Friday Habit. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, hey, and first of all, hey, thanks for your service. I, I really appreciate that. You know, anybody who, um, you know, puts their life on the line for our country uh, has to be appreciated. So, uh, you know, I, I thank you for your service. Well, I appreciate that. It's a completely selfish endeavor because I just loved serving and loved everyone I was with. So it was a great experience. Yeah, that's always good. You know, that's uh, did we did, did you go into the military because you're like I have nothing going for me, so let me go try this out, or did you have like a history or a family of of people who served and you wanted to kind of keep the legacy going? Well, a little of both. My family has been in America since the beginning. And one of the butlers lived on the same block as Benjamin Franklin. Oh, really? And oh, oh all yeah. right. So huh. we got Mayflower people going over. Oh yeah, yeah. We've got ancestors that fought in the Revolutionary War and oh, wow. Civil War, um, World War One, World War Two. I actually have my great grandfather's draft card for World War One, which is really and, yeah. And then my grandfather and all of his brothers fought in World War Two, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I, but you mentioned, you know, why did I join originally? I originally joined because my mom and my stepfather filed bankruptcy about three months before I graduated high school. Oh, so no college money was coming your way. <laughs> I had no prospects for, for college. And so I was like, you know, I think I'll join the army as a mechanic. And mm. I did. So I joined up, they gave me a big toolbox. They kind of showed me how to use it. And then they realized, man, you're a terrible mechanic. (laughs) (laughs) The worst. Uh, And then I ended up on a rifle range and running a rifle range over in Germany. And while I was there, I just kind of did what every Montana boy's dream is. is I camped on the rifle range and I shot every gun, every rifle, every you can ever think of, all the NATO weapons, German weapons, American weapons. And one day I'm out there shooting and this captain walks by and he's like, Hey, you should go to West Point. You can shoot like no one I've ever seen in my life. And sure enough, I, they got me an application and I applied and 
I didn't get accepted. <laughs> and then they, <laughs> yeah, it's one of those. So they sent me to the West Point Prep School and I, I went there and you go there and you compete for an appointment to the academy. And somehow I made it, got appointed, and then I was on the rifle and pistol team at West Point. Wow. That's awesome. And then, so you, you kind of did a few tours overseas and, and what was that like as far as, you know, did you have an idea that you wanted to be in the military until you retired or did you have an idea of like, all right, I'm going to serve a term and then I'm going to start my own thing. Like what, what does that look like? Well, when I first came in, you know, it was enlisted. You, you enlist for a, a, a period of time. Yeah. Okay. After commission as an officer doesn't work like that anymore. There's not there's not a time period that you're commissioned for. Yeah, I mean, you have to resign. And yeah. they'll only accept your resignation if you fulfilled your commitments, but you're allowed to go beyond that as long as you, you know, as long as you're in good standing and you're being promoted and things, which I was. Um, so I I, you know, I think in my head early on, I was thinking, yeah, I was gonna go 20. You know, as you mentioned, I I did a whole bunch of overseas time. So I spent about, yes, mm -hmm. I'm not going to include, I did a, as an enlisted, I did a tour in Germany for a year. I won't include that. But after I became an officer, I was, I was overseas for two and a half years in different, okay, you know, long, long time in Iraq and some danger areas and combat zones um, for another year and a half. So yeah, plenty wow. of time um, deployed. So I spent, yeah, not quite, I guess three and a half years overseas in different okay. categories. And then, and then once you got out, what was your trajectory? You were a terrible mechanic, so you you weren't going to yeah. start your own auto body shop or something like that. Yeah. So along the way, uh, just about about a year and a half before I went to Iraq for the war, um, I had gotten married. You know, so I had a beautiful young wife at home, and you know, I go on this this war deployment. So we come back and her and I are trying to figure out like what we want to do. And I immediately got orders to take a second command and go back to Iraq um, about mm. four months after I'd already returned. And I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. So resigned. All right. Well, then this is when the real difficulty came in because in a 90 day period, I made every mistake, you know, a man could possibly make. So I changed careers. I moved out. I moved to a state I'd never lived in. I um, had a baby, bought a house, all of the same 90 days, right? <laughs> you know, and so I get out of the army and I've been in for more than 10 years and not including my time at West Point. So if you include the time at West Point, it was almost 15 years. Wow. So I get out and I ended up, I couldn't find a job in Montana where I'm from. I came up here and I just looked and looked. I couldn't find anything. And I ended up, I just took a job I could get in Connecticut at a manufacturing plant. And I don't know why, but my wife and I just wanted to have a house. And so we bought a house like right out in the middle of nowhere in Connecticut near where I worked. And one day I realized like, you know what? We don't have enough money because Connecticut is expensive. You know, it's, mm. it's a tough, tough place to live. And I wasn't making a lot of money and I didn't, I never really thought that much about money while I was serving because I was single and you know, as an officer, yeah, low expenses, really paychecks yeah. gets deposited and you just, you know, exactly. you know, save it. Yeah. All your money is for beer and steaks. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's right. Um, so I get there and I'm like, oh my God, I'm like two months into this new job. And I realize like, we're not making it. 
And so I started looking around. I was like, what am I going to do? And my wife and I had, we really wanted for her to be able to stay home with our kids. She, she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. She was having a baby. And uh, so I knew I was going to, I had two choices. Go out and get a second job and work nights and like never see my family or start my own business and never see my family. So anyway, started a home business, but we, we started out first. Um, and that kind of decision led just to like one business after another, after another. Mm. And, you know, I, at the same time I was starting businesses on the side, you can think of it as a side hustle, I guess. Although back in those days, I don't think that idea was around. Right. Just a guy trying to make it. Um, and I, got this crazy opportunity where I ended up at the the manufacturing plant. I, I was, I needed money. Right. And I had gone down to the bookstore at Barnes and Noble. And I was like, somewhere in this bookstore is the answer to my money problem. Like someone made money. Other people made money. I could figure it out. Right. I'm walking around in there and I find this book by Dan Kennedy. And I actually remember it was no BS business success. And I'm like looking through it and and he has this, this line in there. He's like, salespeople oftentimes will make more money than the CEO. Really? It's like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I saw the sales guys where we worked and there are all these like fat old guys. I was like, I could beat those guys. Those guys. Could <laughs> <make food." laughs> I didn't know anything about it. I'd never been in sales in my life. All I had been, I'd been in the infantry and then I'd like, I was a project manager is where I started. And so the next day I went to work and I just walked up to the owner. I was like, Hey, I want, how much do the, the sales guys make? He's like, what do you mean? I was like, I heard those sales guys make a lot of money. I want to go to the sales department. And he's like, really? He's like, no one wants to go to sales. I was like, I do. <laughs> 18 months later, I was the, the director of inside sales. Another year and a half after that, I was the vice president of sales and I helped them scale from 16 million to 25 million, give or take. Wow. So you go in not knowing anything about sales. And then at that point, what was your training regimen? Or like, did you start reading books? Um, you know, what were you just getting on Yahoo search engine and like, you know, Netscape Navigator and, you know, doing searches on message boards and stuff? Yeah, so this is, this is almost uh, 20 years ago. So at that time, you know, the internet was around, but books were still more popular. Yeah. So I, I just started with old school sales books and just put myself through a, you know, my own self-study on like how to sell. Um, they had a head of sales there who was a guy who was retiring. He'd been in sales for 40 years. And so I learned a lot of really smart things from him. You know, and he, 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 his whole philosophy was if you're just kind, People, hmm. people will react to that. He's like, never try to sell something to someone that they don't need. You know, it's like just two really, really just guiding principles. Yeah. And I, I just realized was that it's a kind of a superpower is when you can help people buy things that they need because everyone's scared to buy something that, you know, that's why used car salesman's got such a, such a bad, bad rap. Yeah. Because they're trying to sell things that they know are bad, right? That people don't need, they, they shouldn't have, like they shouldn't be selling them. And he was always like, he's like, if you don't feel like your mother would be happy with the sale, he's like, don't ever make it. That was kind of his idea. That's interesting. Cause I feel like that's kind of contrary to a lot of the kind of grind culture, um, you know, that's prevalent in today's society where it's all about, um, you know, always be closing and, you know, doing a million cold calls and, and, you know, kind of trying to 
close people uh, consistently. So, you know, that's interesting to, to kind of hear like the opposite of that also yeah. can to bring success. Cause I think a lot of people are scared of selling because they're afraid of like, Oh, I have to pressure somebody into like tricking them into buying something they don't want. You know, you almost feel kind of scammy, you know? And, and, and that's the opposite of what like top salespeople, that's the opposite of what they do. You know, and I, I, I have several friends in my network who earn seven figures and they work for companies and they sell big ticket enterprise type software or enterprise, you know, um, services to people, to companies. Mm -hmm. And it's never, it's never pressure sales. It's never the always be closed, you know, you know, coffee is for closers, you know, that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. that that's that kind of stuff. That's for low level commodity type selling. It's it's not mm -hmm. for B2B. It's not how you build a you don't build a career on that. And that that first job, it helped me find a another opportunity with a a, a startup in New York City. I had never hadn't only been to the city once and I got recruited to go there um, a second time and work for a startup. When I got there, there was fewer than 50 people. And when I left, there was more than 500. Wow. And I was their number one sales guy in the world, in the United States, Australia, and Europe. Um, and, you know, it, that skill, it led into the rest of my career. You know, I think that's really, it just, just helped me move along. And being at the startup, that's where I really understood. I started learning a lot more about how to run an actual business. What are, what are all the parts? What do you need? So, yeah, I feel like the, when you're at a startup, the iteration happens so quickly of like failing and trying again and failing and trying again yep. within the company. And so, you know, I've worked at startups and, you know, I was, you know, one for like two years, but it felt like it was like 10 years because <laughs> of all the iterations that, that, you know, I had went through, but I grew a lot during that season and I learned a lot about myself and I learned a lot about, you know, how to effectively, you know, do business and, and all that. So then, so you go to New York and you start having success with the startup. What does that look like as far as, did you take some of those principles that you learned just being kind and, you know, selling stuff that, you know, your mom would be proud of, you know, uh, of the way that you handle yourself. You kind of take that over there, but then just scale that or what did that, what did that look like? So two different things came to bear at the startup. First was one thing I learned in the army was how to work hard, mm -hmm. you know, show up really early, just have a really amazingly productive day. And back to you know, this idea of how to sell, like how to connect with people, how to make friends, you know, how to build a, a network that's, that's worthwhile for them to be with you and you to be with them. And early on, I, I had a great mentor at the startup was a guy who'd been in sales his whole life, this guy named Cajal. And his thing was, he's like, you know, you're a young guy. He's like, everyone you meet, think of them that they're going to be in your network. They're going to be with you for the rest of your life until you're in your 60s. He's like, so if you build a big network of people that are friends and that you can support and who can support you and you're going to be together for 40 years, he's like, so your reputation is the most important thing. You know, and it just came back to just normal, what you would think of as just old school values was always tell the truth, be really honest with people, be, be straightforward, you know, be kind, you know, be empathetic. It's, 
it sounds counterintuitive to how to run a really good business and do great, but it's true. It's just how it works. Well, you know, that that's really encouraging, um, you know, especially I think for me, because, you know, I think I've always tried to um, just have authentic relationships with people. You know, I never really felt like um, I was designed to get in there and try to hack algorithms and, um, you know, just manipulate people with psychology and all these other kind of things. I've just right. felt like, Hey, I connect with somebody and I want to get to know them genuinely, um, and build relationships for me. And it's, it's interesting to hear you say that because I feel like over the past, you know, I've owned, um, Brian Viva, our, our, you know, creative agency for the past seven years. And I can point to every single client that we have comes from some relationship that I had built you know, throughout the years working at other jobs. And so, um, you know, I think that's one thing that can be just really encouraging to someone who's listening to say, Hey, you know, it's not always about you trying to create the most dynamic ad that is going to reach the most people that's going to drive traffic. It's about what are you doing in your personal day-to-day life to make a positive impact, um, for someone. And that can, you know, that has paid me back millions of dollars, you know, just doing that over a seven year period um, and and just making genuine relationships and then seeing how that goes. But I think as a entrepreneur, you get, you know, it's never happening fast enough and it's never as much as you want it to be, you know, so it's that trick of trying to stay present and be patient in the process because there is always that that carrot that's being dangled of like the next best thing and the quickest way to seven figures and, you know, all these kind of things that um, make you feel like I'm not moving fast enough or I'm not growing quick enough. And, right. and uh, it can be discouraging, especially as an entrepreneur, because a lot of times you're alone, you know, and I have really great friends, but they're all like employees and it's hard for them to understand um, the situation that I'm in and, the hustle and grind that, that I'm a part of, you know, for sure. For sure. And it's funny that being alone at the top, it's one of the reasons why early on I joined Vistage. I don't know if you know. Mm. Yeah. I've heard of them. It's an international CEOs group. And I was in Vistage in New York for, oh, I think six, seven years. And, uh, it happened. I, when I joined Vistage, my chair was just getting started. So I was I was an advisor in one of his groups and he eventually became the master chair for New York. And when I, after the startup, I was recruited by a partner company to go over and build a sales and marketing team for them. And a mm. couple of years in their board appointed me CEO and I joined Vistage as a CEO then. And that's when Mark and me and some, each, each group has about a dozen CEOs in it, all from non-competing industries. Um, mm. so really good. And so that's where you can vent and work with someone who's also a CEO and gets, Hey, yeah, I didn't get paid this month because we didn't make any money, but all the employees got paid. And I worked, you know, 400 hours this month. And if you ever had a month where you didn't get any money, that, that sucks. Nothing's worse. All right. We're going to pause this conversation here. Uh, you go to the fridayhabit.com. There you can find show notes for this episode. Uh, there you can also find links to our websites and ways to get in touch. At the bottom of the page, you can download our guide to the Friday Habit System that will show you how to set aside one full day each week dedicated to working on your business instead of in your business. If you're not already, make sure you subscribe. 
Uh, if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear next week's episode, subscribe so you get notified. Uh, also, leave us a review in Apple Podcast app uh, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to potentially be on one of our episodes uh, with a question you ask us, go ahead and record a quick message in your phone, voice memo, and email it to hello at the Friday Habit.com. Until next time, live every day like it's Friday. Friday.